When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. After the highs of Arsenal and that last minute Damari Gray winner, we have the lows of Crystal Palace. It's a podcast none of us really want to be doing, but here we are today. I'm your host, Sam Carroll, joined next to me by Adam Jones and virtually by Dave Prentice. And Gavin Buckland, as we discuss the defeat at Crystal Palace and the ramifications that could come for Rafa Benitez. Adam, you were our man at Selhurst Park yesterday with Phil Kirkbride. Sum it up for us. Yeah, wasn't great, Sam. Was not great. Yeah, it was kind of just Everton reverting back to type, wasn't it? You know, we talked. In last week's podcast, you know, the, after the Arsenal game, after the high of the Arsenal game, we were talking uh, crucially about how much confidence and momentum Everton will be able to take into this match against Crystal Palace. Let's be honest, Crystal Palace haven't been on a great run of form themselves. I think they've lost three straight games. So, you know, it, Everton were the side essentially with the momentum behind them, weirdly going into this match. But they kind of just, they, 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 made, they made it seem like that Arsenal game was an outlier in their in their really poor run of form rather than actually them turning the corner, which is what we all wanted to see. They just <laughs> completely reverted back to type from the first couple of minutes. You could see that Crystal Palace were going to be the team on for the majority of the game. I think Everton showed them too much respect. They were passive in multiple areas of the pitch. I think the system was wrong. I think the personnel inside that system was wrong as well. And it all just kind of amalgamated into this just absolute mess of a yeah. performance, to be honest. It, it was, yeah, we, we, I think you always get recency bias with these sort of things and you go, oh, that was, that was one of the worst performances of the season. And, you know, maybe perhaps sometimes we've said, we've said that when we haven't actually meant it, but genuinely I do think that was one of the worst performances of the season, apart from Rondon's goal and that chance that Anthony Gordon missed. Everton just really didn't threaten that first half in particular. Everton did just absolutely nothing at both ends of the pitch. I've never seen a team set up to be, you know, compact defensively and hit his side on the counter-attack and fail so miserably at that. Everton weren't compact, they weren't solid, and they had absolutely nothing in the counter-attack either. It was just it, it, it like I think a mess is probably the only way I can. I can really describe it on a on a family podcast, to be honest. So I'm going to leave it there and let the other lads kind of join in. Dave, if if you kind of consider that Arsenal, in a way, it couldn't have went any better. You know, coming from a goal down, a, a brilliant last minute winner, Goodison Park rocking. You know, looking at that yesterday and and some of the chance coming from the away end, it it couldn't have went any worse for Rafa Benitez. It was horrible, wasn't it? He was asked pretty much about uh, momentum and the uh, sort of the importance of momentum. 
and then seemed to set us up to take all momentum away. Really, it was uh, you know trying to trying to be compact and you know, sort of hit Palace on the counter, which, as Adam said, you know paid them far too much respect. I mean, this is a team that's you know, not won in four or five, was it drawn three in a row? And, you know, were there really, not, not to be got at, but there to be taken advantage of. And, and we just didn't. It was, I thought the first half performance at Wolves was worse, but this wasn't much, you know, so far behind that, to be honest. And it was, it was just, it was just horrible. Um, I did say on one of these pods so a while ago that we probably need to get used to the fact that things are going to get worse before they get better. But I didn't think it was going to get quite as bad as this. I mean, it's been a horrific run, hasn't it? Absolutely horrific. And especially one bright spot, and that was on Monday night. And a thoroughly deserved result in a really good performance. But then almost like reverting to type, like you say, uh, again on, on Sunday. It was just, it defied belief, really. And yeah, there were mistakes galore, uh, which contributed again. Um, you know, I won't name names. In all. Why shouldn't we? You know, so the skipper, Seamus Coleman, is having a really bad run at the moment. And, uh, you know, so two high-profile errors again, you know, so which cost us, okay, exacerbated by Damari Gray, of all people, you know, so tossing in another, you know, so ridiculous mistake. And there were moments in the second half, you know, obviously scored one goal and, you know, Anthony Gordon, with his effort, which was a little bit unfortunate, to be fair, because, you know, just missed Rondon's, you know, so coming in, his rush. Townsend as well with a shot you should have scored from, to be fair, uh, but, but didn't. So there were moments, but you can't really cling to them because Palace have much more. They have far more moments and, and deserve the win, you know, so quite comfortably. So where you go from here, I don't know, because we need unity, you know, we need support, we need everybody to pull together, and it's not happening because, you know, clearly we've got a manager in place uh, that a number of fans clearly don't want and never wanted in the first place and he's fallen out with too many players now as well so it's 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 a mess I don't really know where we go from here apart from Stamford Bridge on Thursday oh my god Gavin both we're we're five minutes into the podcast and and both Adam and Preno have used the word the term a mess can you can you offer any of your usual optimism (laughs) 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 I knew as soon as you started there, Sam, and you were exactly where this is going to end up, you know, <laughs> with, with, with some vain attempt by yourself to get me to be optimistic for the change. Um, I just I, want the, the, the view from the Buckland. I tell you what, my, my afternoon was summed up when I, I took great time preparing myself in the pub. Good stuff, hang down, got the wine for Mrs. B, coat down, all that type of stuff. And then we said, then he said, we're going to have to move you. We've got to put the, the big screen down from the, the ceiling. So then got chucked in the corner with a card <laughs> dally, which to be fair, in <laughs> favour, uh, to be yeah. fair. Uh, that's uh, to sum my day up. So I don't know whether that was a benefit or uh, something that went badly wrong. Um, yeah, I can only add to it. I, the, the only thing I'd say is I thought we'd, I thought we'd best, better yesterday than what we heard at Brentford. I just thought it was awful at Brentford. Uh, the last 20 minutes but to me it was the setup of the team wasn't it really I mean we've been set, people have been saying 4-3-3 so we ended up more like 4 2 3 one, didn't we really um, but we didn't have the personnel in the midfield to play 4-3-3 you know Delph holding yeah okay but he's too old isn't he not fit enough the core not fit enough to do the box, the box hold and Ante Gomez maybe many things but he's not a playmaker is he and um, 
once you've got that mix wrong, we, we just got sacked all over the place, didn't we, in the midfield in the first half, especially, um, and left our full-backs vulnerable. And I can only add to what Pleno said to me. I, I, it's a wider discussion point maybe for another day, but I have real problems with Coleman at the moment. Uh, I do feel sympathy for him, but it's all body language and as so for that third goal, not exactly cool thinking by the skipper, was it really? Um, it, it appears to be burning a short fuse, which is probably down to frustration with his own form, but just wondering, that has to transmit itself to the team, doesn't it, really? If your captain's having a bad time and he's the leader on the pitch side, then that doesn't really, you know, help the team, does it, as a whole? And I do think there's a discussion to be had to say, as Benny says, it's like, Seamus, you've got enough struggle with your problems struggling with your form at the moment. I perhaps need to look at maybe somebody being skipper in the short term. That's my angle. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, in the short term, yeah, at least I just don't. I just don't see how that Seamus's poor form as skipper is benefiting the team whatsoever. Looking at that team, though, yeah. who who else would be captain? There's well, that's that's what, that's what the next point I was going to say was. Well, who else would you be skipper? Would really, you know, who who else would you? You know, I know position on the pitch, maybe even language comes into it, you know. But I have a real problem with Seamus. I've got sympathy with him. But he was just woeful yesterday. Yeah. Absolutely woeful. And contributed to two. Two goals, clearly. And it's just, you know, it's just, that he's a skipper. We should be, players should be looking for him. I think of Phil Neville. Players, players, you know, big characters still look up to Phil Neville, you know, and he would lead. And I, Seamus, I just don't, I don't get it at the moment. And um, that's where we've got a major problem in, for me, him being skipper whilst being in atrocious form and questioning whether will he ever. I think there's improvement there, but he's certainly not going to be Seamus Cole in the past six years, though, is he? And um, I just wonder whether if I was the manager, I'd be maybe looking to do a slightly different approach. Was you looking to dive in there, Dave? No, I was just going to repeat something that we've said previously on um, on these podcasts about the lack of leadership potential in the squad as a whole. You know, we've talked for a long, long time about the lack of you know potential leaders. Uh, on the pitch and you know Seamus does that role I mean, he did it very well on Monday you know we talked earlier in the week about him you know encouraging and exhorting Damari Gray and the way he spoke to him after the game but you know clearly when your form is suffering which it is you know I totally accept that you know maybe taking that responsibility away from him you know so it may help but there's nobody else in that squad is that that you'd look at and say well he's the obvious choice then I mean you throw a name at me. I can't think of anybody that you would absolutely, you know, sort of give that that role to that be wouldn't have a detrimental effect. Michael Keane, you'd think, well, you know, you know, he's playing okay at the moment, but you don't want to, you know, lumber him, you know, so with more responsibility and see how that, you know, so you know, affects him. Decore, maybe I don't know, has he been there long enough? Really, has he got enough you know, about yeah. him to be a skipper? I, I don't know, uh, but it just underlines once again, you know, so in the past we've had three or four leaders in the squad. We have very, very few at the moment. 
And um, it's, well, to use that word again, it's a mess. I generally, I generally hate the idea of goalkeepers as captains, but I think Jordan Pickford's probably the standout yeah. candidate for me. Yeah. Is Everton's next captain, which I think is probably, you know, encapsulates the issue that you guys are talking about, really, because I, I don't think, in general, goalkeepers do make good captains, but he seems to be the one who's leading from the back, which is, which is, which is madness, isn't it? You'd say if he was fit every week, you'd think Mina would probably yeah. be yeah. Um, chosen one. And that's who I'd prefer. Um, because he's a centre-half, I think he's got the personality. Uh, but that's no good to us if he's only playing less than half the games, isn't it? And, and mm. this this points... I, I mean, I'm, I don't, I'm not, what I'm saying is, I'm not saying Seamus is a terrible captain. What I'm saying is, if you've got enough problems with your own form, you don't want, as Dano says, you know, place the burden of captaincy on top of that person as well. You just want to say, just play your own game, look after yourself. You know, we will give that job to somebody else and I think uh, I think it's a, a conversation worth having but I just as I say it's, it speaks volumes doesn't it for the, the team and there's not the outstanding candidate you know which I think is you know again that's back to recruitment isn't it things like that We move back to pre-match Adam and, and one member of the squad who I think was part of Marco Silva's leadership team one of the occasional a man who has captained Everton in the past in fact Luca Dean mm. admitted from the squad again against Arsenal. He leaves him out. Everton win. Ben Godfrey puts in a good performance. It all kind of works out. Mm-hmm. Now real questions have to be asked. The, the big question for me, I think, is that, you know, are we putting our eggs into the basket of Benitez, who could then potentially be sacked and in the future leave the club? Or are we are we willing to let a, a, a player who, you know, he hasn't been in the best of form this season, but still one of the better left-backs in the Premier League. It's it became a really interesting situation. Yeah, it's, it's just an issue that Benitez didn't really need, isn't it? And it's, yeah. it, it's hard to it's hard to go really in-depth on it without knowing the, exactly what's been said between Dean and Benitez. You know, at least publicly, both of them have come out and they've tried to play down the sort of feud. Uh, Benitez's uh, comments pre-match were seeming to suggest that if Dean was continuing to do what he's currently doing in training, and then he'd he'd uh, sort of earn his place back in the squad and hopefully back in the uh, back in the side pretty soon. Which I, th- I suppose he's kind of got to say that, hasn't he? Really coming up yeah. to a busy festive period, I'm sure he can't be seen to be leaving out. You know, well, a fully fit player, let alone one of Everton's best fully fit players, if he's on his game. Uh, and you know, looking at the performance yesterday, I think Godfrey did do quite well on a, on an individual basis in a, in a lot of respects. You know, he got forward all right. He played really good cross into the box in the first half, particularly which Andre Gomez maybe should have done a little bit better with on the volley. Uh, I think he, he had a couple of nice nice tackles getting back as well. But I think the, the, the main issue with playing Godfrey there was then the positioning of Michael Keane. Michael Keane seemed to be very preoccupied with where Godfrey was and what Godfrey was doing in terms of his sort of positioning. So Keane kept getting dragged over far too far over to the left-hand side because he he felt that he needed to cover Godfrey in some sort of capacity. So that left Mason Holgate trying to cover over and it it just completely put us all out of whack. And, you know, it it plays into what Gav was saying before about the midfield. I don't think the midfield shape helped us at all in terms of these gaps in between uh, the midfield and defence, which particularly Conor Gallagher 
was able to uh, to exploit very very easily. Jordan Ayew did it a couple of times, especially in the first half as well. But uh, yeah, I, I really do think there was there was something weird going on with Michael Keane. I don't know whether he just didn't trust Ben Godfrey in that position, or where I, I don't know what was going on. But his his position and certainly seemed to have been affected by having Godfrey there rather than Dean. I've never I've never seen Keane so keen. <laughs> pardon the pun to go over and, and cover that left back role when Luca Dean is playing there so maybe yeah. subconsciously just having somebody who's you know he's Ben Godfrey is obviously adept at, he can play in that position but it's not his natural area of the pitch is it and you know maybe that was subconsciously playing in Michael Keane's head a little bit he knew he didn't have a natural left back next to him so he was thinking to himself oh I might need to go over and cover for a potential Ben Godfrey mistake, which I don't think really came during the first half, but Michael Keane's positioning was just covering for it anyway. And it just kind of, it kind of messed up the whole defensive line at that point. So, you know, maybe Benitez is going to have to look at that now and think, well, even if Luca Dean's not in great form, he is a natural left back. And if he brings this more sort of natural balance to the back four, then he does need to be in the side. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying that Luca's been in, you know, bad form for the last 12 months, etc. It's not it's not just been with Benitez. And I do kind of get that. I don't think he's been in bad form. I don't think he's been, I just don't think he's been at the form that he was yeah, at. Yeah. You know, he was in, he was one of the best left backs in the Premier League when he when he first joined Everton, wasn't he? So he hasn't hit those heights, but yeah, over over recently, I just I just think it's it's got to the position now where he's such a good player. You've got to try and let him play through this sort of this sort of bad form. I think you, if if Benitez is the one coming out and saying, "Oh, it's for the good of the team," I think it's I think probably Sunday showed it was for the good of the team that Dean comes back in and at least provides that balance yeah. to the back four because I really do think Michael Keane was affected by that, and then that just kind of as I say, throws throws everything off in the, in, in the defence and, you know, it kind of it kind of led to Everton's downfall in the end. So, you know, I, I do just hope that, you know, Dean can continue performing in training uh, and, you know, you, you hope that there's there's some sort of compromise reached, you know, if, D, if Dean can, you know, effectively play in that Rafa Benitez style, even if he doesn't agree with it, if he can teach himself to play yeah. a little bit better in that sort of style, I think, that would be better for the team, but Benitez has got to give him the opportunity to do that now, which would be better for the team. So it's just, it's just that it, it seems very much that they've the club, you know, the player and the manager have kind of reached the crossroads at this point. And uh, you know, Benitez, it's up to him to try and work through this now. Like it, this is this is all about his sort of man management with with Luca Dean. So it's going to be really interesting to see what he does with it. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What have you made of the Luca Dean situation, Pro? It's funny, actually, because I thought on Sunday that was one of the very few things that you could argue the manager got right, because I thought uh, Godfrey was, was 
was good. I thought he played very well. Um, and was actually strangely really forward thinking and really positive, you know, the mm. kind of stuff that we would anticipate Luca Dean to be doing. Um, you know, he overlapped with real power and pace and purpose on a couple of occasions. And, uh, you know, strangely got a good first time left footed crossing, you know, so I'm normally expecting to check back on his right foot in those situations. Uh, I totally accept that, yeah, that probably did, you know, so play on the mind of, you know, the players in the middle there and upset the balance a little bit. Uh, but now I, th- I thought Godfrey, you know, so it w- was good. But equally, he's going to be good at centre-half as well. And, you know, I'm still not sure. Mason Holgate does worry me sometimes, you know, sort of playing in that position. And the sooner Godfrey is back in there, if Mean is going to be out, you know, so for a longer period than we think, you know, so the better. I think you've just got to try and get your better players in the team, you know, as quickly as you can. And, yeah, I don't think Lucas Dean has been playing so badly that he should be left out, you know, on merit. He was obviously left out because he had a row with the manager before the game on Monday. Um, his performances haven't been as good as they have been previously, or equally, they haven't been as bad as, you know, say, you know, sort of the fullback on the opposite flank. You know, he's not making mistakes. He's just maybe not producing the levels that we had seen previously. And yeah, I'll go with Adam on this. I think he should be allowed to try and play through it and try and return. He's had the kick up the backside that maybe he needed. You know, so now's his opportunity to try and see if he can, you know, sort of deliver again. Although it's, it's a bit unfair on him saying, okay, yeah, I'll bring you back for Stamford Bridge on Thursday. You know, so well, although. You know, so a team who was struggling a little bit on occasions over the last week or two, and you know, so Leeds ran them close at the weekend. So you know, so maybe you know, if everybody can produce those Arsenal type performances, who knows? And I'm talking absolute rubbish now, but um, but no, you know. So I think you've got to get your better players on the pitch. I think the big problem of the weekend was was the midfield balance was just all over the place. I mean, um, and that was largely forced upon him to a degree with Alan. You know, so not being available. You know, so you want to try and you know, so keep things uh, as stable as they had been and obviously he wasn't allowed to do that so he had to make a change and the changes he made didn't really work did they and um it was well i'm gonna say mess again yeah it was a bit of a mess but um as far as luca dean goes i'd like to see him you know sort of recalled and allow him to try and rediscover you know the form that we know he's capable of a situation now gav that between the manager and the player with, with the manager I think it's fair to say under fire after after recent results. Luke Dean could obviously be be questioning his Everton future. Is it worth losing yeah. a player of his of his caliber? What what is your take on the situation? My my take on the situation is I think I, I, I don't view it as a as a conflict between Benitez and Dean. I think it's a conflict about what what a fullback used to do in the olden days and the requirements of a fullback now. Um, you know, and Dean is is a good attack and defender, fullback, and you know he he can defend acceptably well. I won't say top class, which is what you want in a modern fullback. But the the role he's been, if you're playing four four two, he's just got to sit tight, hasn't he, in in the fullback position. And I think that's not playing to his strengths. And I would imagine, you know, it, it's that daft thing, isn't it? Now in the modern game. Fullbacks not ju- judged by how good they, they can defend. It's like the count, you know, it's their number of assists, it's the crosses, the chances created and stuff like that. And people people judge them like that. And I suspect that Dean's beef is the fact that actually the metrics that you uh, measure a fullback now is not getting that opportunity to be high up on that list because he's being told to play quite defensively in a 4-4-2. And um, so the, that system is not playing to his strengths. And you suspect that that's the that's what the you know the discussion is 
you know that um, by playing four four two or four four one one, he's not he's not accommodating Dean's strength as a player. Um, and I think Dean's pushback as well. You know, to get the best out of him, he, he needs to be playing another system. Ironically, he dropped Dean yesterday, and in the four three three, as we've seen with uh, Ben Godfrey, he could have got up the pitch yesterday and played to his strengths, which was a bit strange. Um, so I, I think the dispute really between the lines is what Dean's role is, whether whether to get the best, you know, keep the player field to get the best out of his talent. Um, where that leaves him, I don't know. We, we, I think last time was on last week. It's, is it coincidence that this is sort of two or three weeks before the January transfer window opens? Um, there's, there's, you know, we've spoken, haven't we, as well, that in previous pods that to get to spend money, we'd need to sell somebody who's a saleable asset at the, the club. And we've mentioned the Charles and Calvert Lewin Pickford. Not saying that we should sell them, but that's something that maybe needs to happen. You just wonder whether Luca Dean falls into that category. And that Benitez is thinking, well, actually, if I've got an unhappy player who's not happy in the system he's playing, then, you know, I'm prepared to play Godfrey left back, but use that money to spend, if you sell Dean to sell that, you know, strength of the team elsewhere. But don't, don't know. He would buy Luca Dean and for what fee? Yeah. That's the other thing. Even two or three years ago, you would imagine a number of clubs. But it's 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 sometimes uh, you know it, it, in in January in the middle of a obviously pandemic and stuff. It, it's easy saying sell, but you know you may as we well know it's very difficult to offload players, even good players. So it's just, I only use that uh, that word again. Mess pretty <laughs> hard to do. Who? By all accounts, is a very, very good professional anyway, you know, isn't he? I don't think he's, he's somebody who'll slack off. I think it's just a conflict of personalities. I suspect over the role he's playing in the team. Um, but I don't know. It's just, I, I, but I'm with Prano, though. I'd play Gov, I'd like I'd Godfrey at centre defence idea and they still play Dean left back. But whether the player managers see that as a sort of work with that, I'm not so sure at the moment. One of the shocking moments yesterday, Adam, was 1-0 down over half an hour to play and number seven went up on the substitute board and Rafa Benitez decided to take off the child. He, he did come out after the game and, and kind of give some context to a, a, a calf complaint that Richardson was struggling with, but the player definitely did not seem like someone who wanted to go off with this calf injury that Rafa Benitez has mentioned that, and that was truly where the the tide from the away end really started to turn against Rafa Benitez. But we've spoken about the the Dean situation there at length. Richarlison, as he was getting substituted, did not seem like someone who was loving playing for Rafa Benitez or Everton. No, and it, it, it's a really weird situation, isn't it? Because we've we've gone from on Monday Richarlison essentially scored a hat trick, didn't he? You know, he was only marginally offside for two of them uh, but <laughs> then we come into we come into Sunday and I, I must say I, I did tweet at the time I did see Richarlison you know, he, he did make it some sort of gesture to his calf like I think maybe 35th minute something like that and he was he was seeming to struggle with it for like a minute or so so maybe you know the manager did see that as well and that's what he's 
that's what he's asked them about at half time. And you know, that Richarlison, you know what Richarlison's like. He's he wants to play every minute of every of every game that's available to him. So he was. I've got no doubt in my mind that he was probably just going to Benitez. No, no, I'm I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Keep me on. Yeah. So then you can see you can kind of see both sides of the argument where Benitez is looking at it and thinking, right, okay, I haven't got Dominic Calvert Lewin available to me. Uh, me, 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 other main striker is feeling some sort of injury. Yeah, D- we're, we're about to, you know, go for it. Well, I, I don't, th- I don't think they did go for it in the last half hour, but <laughs> I, pro- I think in Benitez's head, he was probably thinking, all right, we need to go for it for this yeah. for this last half hour to uh, to try and get a point or all three points in in this game. Was was Richarlison's calf going to be able to handle it? And if it if it couldn't, we'd potentially be missing him for not just Chelsea, but then important games against Leicester. You know, you've got to look ahead to the games against Burnley, Newcastle, Brighton as well. You know, if we if if Richarlison was to pick up a calf injury that would keep him out of those games, if we weren't able to bring Dominic Calvert Lewin back in time as well, then yeah, we we we'd be in real trouble in some in some crucial games where we need to pick up three points and we we'd be without our two main strikers again. So that's probably what Benitez is thinking about it from Richarlison's side of things and from the fans' side of things as well. I think, you know, it, it, it didn't look as if Richarlison was necessarily struggling with the with this injury in the second half. And, yeah. you know, Benitez was saying, oh, well, he didn't really show me anything in that first 15 minutes. Well, nobody gave him the ball <laughs> Through, throughout, yeah. his, throughout his 58 minutes on the pitch. Richarlison got absolutely zero service. Like, he was... He was coming back out on the wings desperately to try and look for possession. He got absolutely nothing. And I'm not having, you know, anybody who's saying, oh, but Rondon came on and scored. Well, yeah, the ball deflected straight straight into his path two yards out. He used to say Richarlison wouldn't have been in that exact same position as, yeah. as Rondon if, he, if he'd not been uh, sitting on the substitutes bench. So, yeah, I, I really can see both sides of the argument. And it, it I, I can imagine it must be frustrating for Benitez because... You know, he, he has probably had this conversation with Richarlison about his injury, and you know, it it it, it probably doesn't help him that Richarlison has reacted in the way that he has. Yeah. But at the same time, just the act of taking off such an important player, a player who can produce a goal out of nowhere, apart from it's him and Damari Gray essentially, isn't it? Who can pull a goal out yeah. of absolutely nowhere for Everton at the minute, and I, I do I do just feel like even. Even if Richarlison was ninety percent fit because of this, you know, calf issue or whatever it was, you know, a ninety percent fit Richarlison for the end of that match, I'd take the risk yeah. personally because I I just think he can he, he has the ability to produce a goal out of nowhere and imagine he's produced that goal, you know, just just before Conor Gallagher had scored, yeah, and it was two two going into the going into added time or something like that. You know, you you, you don't know what can happen. It can it can be a game changing decision. And then you've got the reaction from the supporters as well, which I think is something that Benitez really should be a lot more concerned about rather than the reaction of Richarlison because some of the chants that were coming out of that away end, well, some of them I can't repeat because we are a family <laughs> podcast. But uh, yes, they, they, were, they, were, they were very, very pointed towards the manager. You know, we, we, had, we had a lot in the Brentford game uh, that seemed to be, you know, pointed at the players. Uh, we had, obviously... A lot at the subsequent derby yeah. against the board. This time, you know, the, there was no doubt that this was this was against the manager and this specific decision from the manager as well. You know, Preno, Preno was saying earlier in the podcast, wasn't he? That you know, there was 
there was a lot of Everton fans who didn't want Benitez in the first place. So he was already treading on thin ice a little bit. So the fact that he's... What is happening with this noise, by the way? Yeah, no? Go on. Done. Go on. Yeah, so yeah, he was already treading on thin ice, as I say. And, you know, the, the fact that he's... The fact that that has now happened, I just think that the cracks of the cracks have shown, and you know there was a lot there was a lot of away fans there who who were who had turned on the manager there. So it's 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 a it's a really it's a really bad situation for Benitez. Like he, it, it's something that he absolutely didn't need, and you know I can see why he, he was frustrated at the end of the game, but I can certainly see why Richarlison and the fans were even more frustrated. To be honest, a pretty fair assessment. They they from Adam in that well, is the concern now that I think every ever or most Everton fans can still accept whether you thought Rafa Benitez was the right appointment or not. There are some fires that he's been fighting since he's come into the club, which were not of his making. Um, and and you know to be fair to him, you know only having a million two million pounds to spend in the transfer market, Damari Gray does seem to be one of the best Everton signings of the of the last few years, but. Is, is the worry now that he's starting to make these kind of, he's starting to make fires of his own, which are just adding to the overall problem and pushing them into a, a really, really tight corner to get out of? It's been as, as modus operandum as a manager, hasn't it, since, since he started? I mean, he does cause conflict uh, because he's absolutely rigid in his beliefs and there's like no, you know, sort of wriggle room at all. And I understand the decision uh, regarding Richarlison uh, at the weekend. You know, he was feeling his calf and every time the camera panned into him in the doghouse, he was uh, feeling his calf and he was rubbing it. So there clearly is an issue there. But, you know, you're trying to pull back a winnable, you know, sort of game and you're taking off arguably your biggest goal threat. I, I thought that, you know, when Rondon came on, I thought Townsend might have given way as somebody that, you know, we would have actually seen Richarlison playing around Rondon then and, you know, sort of have like a proper threat. But the manager is absolutely adamant about, you know, so he's in charge. He's the man that, you know, so sort of wields the discipline and, you know, and he maybe he was trying to, you know, sort of send the point towards Richarlison. Richarlison's always like that, isn't he? You know, if he comes off like after 85 minutes, he pulls a face, you know, so he's, he's you know, the world's most um, enthusiastic footballer, you know, when it comes to wanting to be, you know, sort of around for every minute of every game. Uh, I don't think he did his manager any favours there whatsoever. But the manager does appear to be picking fights, you know, so with lots and lots of people at the moment when he doesn't need to. Uh, he will argue he does because, you know, he needs to get things right. And you could argue he got it right, you know, so with the Ben Godfrey situation and Luca Dean at the weekend. Did he get it right with this one? Well, the result would suggest he didn't, no. Uh, but when you've got, you know, so the hardcore supporters, the most loyal supporters, you know, sort of turning on you, you probably do need to, you know, sort of show a little bit more flexibility in your attitude, you know, and obviously he won't, you know, because, you know, it, it's, it's his way or the highway. You know, it's always been the case and he will continue to do that. It won't worry him about uh, upsetting people because he will do what he believes to be right. But that's going to create a fairly grim atmosphere going forward because, I mean, best friend in the world I can't see is, you know, getting anything on Thursday evening and then you've got a 12 noon kickoff on Sunday, you know, which is likely to be a flat atmosphere anyway because of the timing against a really awkward team who's just put four past Newcastle. So it, 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 it's, it's grim. You know, it's, an it's a time when we need unity and togetherness and support and we're not getting it. We're, we're getting divisions and we're getting, you know, sort of huge, big, you know, sort of fissures in the football club everywhere you look. 
And it's, it's a worry. It's, it's a real, real genuine worry. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Bill Kenwright was in the stands at Selhurst Park yesterday, Gavin. Although he's no longer the man that ultimately calls the shots, his reports back to Farhad Mashiri probably weren't the most promising today. Uh, no, and uh, about the performance, yeah, absolutely, I, I agree with that. I, I agree that um, I think Denise has just probably taken fights where he doesn't doesn't need to to have have them, and that's you know talk about Coleman's impact on morale with him struggling as a as a captain. You know, you could argue that the, the morale is similarly impacted. If Benitez is picking fights or there's you know public disagreements with two of his two of his best and two of his best players really, uh, yeah, I think the uh, the supporters you know a chance at the end as well and during the game which we got to, couldn't really pick up on Sally um, and also talent but I don't know what what you do mentioned before, I mean, I don't think we should be changing managers. I just don't see the point of that. I think we just got to hold our nerve and, and see this bad, bad run through. And we've got, dare I say, never works out like this after Chelsea, is it, until the end of February, beginning of March, before we play one of the top teams. We've got a decent run of fixtures, hopefully get DCL back. Um, but in the meantime, I, I thought it was a bit strange that Vinny says one yesterday because if, if Richarlison was injured, was he getting treatment on the... Uh, on the substitute bench, or did he just didn't sit look there? like to me? He looked no, like he, he just sat there feeling his calf and p- pulling faces at the camera. <laughs> yeah, I saw somebody going over to him. You, you would think if he was if he had an injury concern where he had to take him off after an hour, wouldn't you think that would be something you know immediate? You know, getting knocked at just a bit of an odd one that. Um, but if he was, if he was not hundred percent fit, I'm not. I think he needs to keep... I'd rather him go off after 60 minutes yesterday and play 90 and miss three games. You know? Um, so, yeah, I think Bill's report will be... Well, just listen to this podcast, really. Adam and Bill's report. A valued listener of the podcast. Yeah, I, you would hope so, yeah. yeah. I think Cynics would say he needs to listen to a little bit of football expertise, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, you know, what can you say about yesterday? Not a lot, can you? Really? A little bit of a flurry at the end. You know, any reports of Farhad would be quite uh, quite critical. And, I hope he is reporting back to Farhad because he's just singularly absent all the time from matches. Yeah. I mean, I think Watford was it was the last game he's seen and that was like one of the very, very few he's seen this season. And even then he arrived like 20 minutes into the match. I bet he wished he arrived 20 minutes before the end or, you know, so missed the last <laughs> minutes. Um, so, you know, is, is he aware of, of the, you know, the fans' supporters' sentiment and the fans' you know, sort of feelings we don't know. Yeah. He's never actually there, is he, to actually hear, you know, sort of what they're saying, which is a worrying state of affairs. I know there are other football club owners that, you know, sort of manage from afar, uh, but normally because, you know, they're all reviled, you know, like Manchester United and the Newcastle situation that happened. I mean, um, you know, Liverpool FSG out there, you know, sort of you know, detractors for a long time. God knows why, given what's happened to that football club over the last few years. Um, but it's a concern, you know, he's... if. 
It's a strange one with Farhad Mashiri because what he's done with the football club, you know, looks largely positive in terms of finance. You know, cleared the club debt. He's, you know, we're going to a new stadium because of his money. We wouldn't be going to the new stadium without him. And yet the decisions he's making, you know, sort of football-wise, have been so damaging. And is he aware of the, you know, sort of depth of feeling against those decisions? I generally don't know if he is. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a concern. Well, I want to open this one up to the to the room to, to finish off. But Gavin saying there about Evan holding the nerve, and, and I do think he is right in the sense we cannot continue this trend of of second managers. But for for the for the three of you, and and kind of thinking about when Ancelotti left, the consensus was Everton just needed some stability to take them towards the new stadium. Is Rafa Benitez, in in your opinions? the man to do that is he still the right man to lead Everton forward based on what you what we've seen since the start of the season <laughs> I going to say but you're going to see tumbleweed blowing across the air the screen now aren't you? <laughs> I asked the tough questions well, Dave I asked the tough questions well it, it's it, it's a piece that I've written and you know by the time this pod, podcast is up maybe it'll be on the website it's going going on at some point today as, as we're recording on Monday but it, it, Ever, Everton managers seem to live and die by their relationship with the fans, yeah. essentially. Uh, and Rafa Benitez, that's why he, he was always just starting on the back foot, wasn't he? Yeah. Because there was, as, as Preno you know, mentioned right at the top of this podcast, you know, there was a lot of Everton fans who uh, who didn't want to see Rafa Benitez take charge of the club. And you know, I think when uh, when the rumours first came out about Benitez, I think on this podcast, I voiced my doubts about whether he would be the man to then take us through to Bramley Mordock because the problem was that as soon as he come up against his first bad run of form, he was already on he was already on such thin ice that it, it was all it always had a chance of cracking through and breaking and you know that that's why that's why yesterday's game and the, the chance the chance against the manager it felt like a significant moment especially coming you know just you know a couple of weeks or so after Liverpool fans were singing his name in a derby where they battered us at Goodison. Yeah. You know, it's it, 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 it's moments like that where I just keep replaying them in, in my head and I'm like, it's it's going to take something hugely special to try and to try and turn around and to try and repair that relationship with supporters because, as I say, that's where that's where ever, ever managers kind of kind of live. You know, Sam Allardyce was in a. I would say probably a similar situation where he was always starting on the back foot, and he could never re- he could never repair that. Yeah, he was gone a few months later, of course, wasn't he? At the at the end of uh, at the end of the 2017-2018 season, uh, pff, I, I would argue that Roberto Martinez probably hung on a little bit longer than he might have done if he hadn't have uh, connected so well with the Everton fans in his first season with the club. You know, he built up such a goodwill, and he. And he bought into the values that Everton fans want to see. That perhaps it bought them a little bit more time when it when it came towards the end of things. And that's that's just the situation that Benitez finds himself in. He finds himself at an absolutely critical point in his managerial tenure. Yeah. Just a few months after taking over. And you're writing what like everybody's writing what they're saying. We can't just keep we can't just keep going round and round in circles in this in this cycle of appointing managers, but. At the end of the day, we've got to appoint the right manager as well, yeah. and 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 I think you know there were a lot of doubts over right at the start of this over whether Benitez was the right manager, and that and that's why 
and that's why we find ourselves in the position we're in right now. So it's a really, really tough ask for him. I'll, 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 I'll say that much. But yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in in the future. Sam, Sam, can I ask a question? Yeah, is the more pertinent question, is this the right set of players to be taking us into Bramley Moor? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think this really has come about when talking about me, says you can talk about managers all the time and, and all this, but that's, that's, the, that's the question, isn't it? But at the end is, of the is, day, is, though, they, a lot of the players who you know are considered quote unquote deadwood at the minute and who are the problem, their contracts yeah. all expire before we get to Bramley Moor. Yeah, okay. They won't they won't take yeah. us into Bramley Moor, will they? Yeah, the, 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 some... was always meant to be the man who was yeah, who there's still players, there. there's still players are there who are still contacted to the next 18 months at least, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah, you know, large quarter. I mean, I would imagine most of the players on that pitch yesterday, bar maybe one or two, are contacted to 23, 24, might be something like that, you know? Mm. Um, and that, that's the more pertinent point to me. I, I think all the, and I get all the stuff about the board, I get all the stuff about the manager. I think the players have got off lightly over the last month, mm. to be honest with you. I mean, there, there was some shocking defensive errors yesterday. And I think I think I think the players have not had the scrutiny that they, they, they deserve. We've mentioned some of it, haven't we? Lack of leadership on the pitch, nobody taking responsibility. You know, all that type of stuff. I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that. We just need to look at was it this time Boxing Day, this time last year, you know, where we were right, was it second or third on the table with like, you know, a similar group of players. Maybe the players are suffering because of the constant managerial upheaval. You know, so sort of changes every twelve months or every eighteen months, and another set of ideas, another set of you know, another plan, another methodology. And you know, maybe their heads are like absolutely swirling. Maybe I'm being too kind to them there. I don't know because there have been some very very poor performances. You know, so over the last you know six weeks, it was only how long ago you know, after the draw at Old Trafford that, you know, the, the season was looking okay. Everybody was looking yeah. quite optimistically. So things have yeah. like, you know, fallen off really, really badly over the last two or three months. Is that down to the players? Is that down to the manager? Is that down to the injuries that we've had? Is it a combination of all four? Bottom line is, you know, the recruitment has been abysmal over the last, uh, you know, sort of four or five years. And, you know, maybe all these pigeons are finally coming home to roost now. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening to our to our venting there over the last therapy <laughs> session. This, isn't it? Was. I'm, an, I'm an unlicensed therapist <laughs> for anyone listening to this podcast. But as usual, thank you so much for listening. It's the Echo Sports Christmas Night out tonight. So Preno, Preno's going to go and get himself spruced up. I've heard. I've, I've heard all rounds are on Preno tonight. I've also I've heard these. I've yeah. heard that, and I've also heard he's doing nine minutes on the sunbeds before he comes out, <laughs> making himself look, look gorgeous for me. Zero, so we'll be back later on in the week, hopefully with a more positive podcast. Once again, you can find us on Facebook. You can follow the Royal Blue Podcast group to give us some questions and add your thoughts, and you can also follow all the guys on t- Twitter. But before we do go, Prown, where are you up to on the excellent new book? From Gavin Buckland and how's it going? 
you talk about therapy, you know, so reading about everything in the 1970s isn't exactly therapeutic either. Um, <laughs> I, I, I got through another chapter last night. Um, um, and great, excellent work, Gavin, like so thoroughly enjoying it, even though it does bring home a few, a, a few grim memories and lots of things that I wasn't aware of as well. I mean, I'm up to the uh, the Mickey Walsh period. Mickey Walsh, the striker, not Mickey Walsh, the uh, the defender. Uh, Steve Walsh's brother, bizarrely. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, and um, it is. It's I managed to get through the Clive Thomas chapter without you know causing any too much self harm. Uh, but no, it's it, it, it's it's great, and I know it ends well. You know, so unlike what's happening at Everton moments, I do know that the book finishes positively. So you know, now thoroughly enjoying it, Gav, and uh, like I say, I'll. I'll, I'll review properly, you know. So when, when I've, you know, when I've completed the book, which might take me a, a few more days, yes. But yeah, it's uh, it's good stuff. Totally good stuff. Recommended. We'll, we'll wait for our free signed copy to come through mm. the post. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. It's coming. Fingers crossed. Christmas Day. That's where I'm. At. That's what's under the tree for me. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. And if you are about in Warstones or online, do pick up a copy of Gav's book. Thank you so much for listening. We've been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.